guys, what's up? It's Haley. Welcome back to Kindled. Today I have a very exciting episode for you. As you can see from the title, this is an episode all about the Enneagram. I gotta tell you, doing this episode gives me minor heart palpitations because this is a very divisive topic. It's it's a hot topic. It's one that a lot of Christians do not agree on. The reason that I feel compelled to do this episode, even though I've spoken some about my perspective on the Enneagram and my history with how I uh, used to be very into it and am now not, the reason I want to do it is because I believe there are some facts in this episode that you may not have. So I would ask you whether you are pro-Enneagram or anti-Enneagram to just listen to this episode and see what facts there are that you can gather that you may not have already. And if you have all the facts and you have, you you know, everything I say, you already know, then you can make your decision about how you're going to engage with the Enneagram. But there may be some things in here that make you question or second guess whether you really knew the full story. And so what I would say is I would just ask you to ask God to give you wisdom on this. This is not a salvation issue, whether you choose to read or study the Enneagram, but it I, I do believe it is a wisdom issue. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We have such a gracious and loving father who gives us what we do not deserve, which is wisdom when we ask him for it. He wants us to have wisdom. So it is it is something that is um, that is available to us, but we actually have to to ask for it and pray for it and earnestly desire it. And I believe that when we do, he does not hold back. He does not refuse to give us wisdom because that is us praying in accordance with his will. So um yeah, I that's what I wanted to say ahead of the episode. Um, I appreciate anyone listening who is skeptical. I really sought to be very charitable in my treatment of it because I am someone who went, I was in a stage not that long ago where anytime someone questioned the Enneagram, I got annoyed. I got offended and um, I was just like, oh my gosh, why can't they just lighten up? Like, what is the big deal? I, I truly, that was, those were words that came out of my mouth and I would have said, I think, I think that they're just a little too uptight and I, I don't understand the big deal. Like you're making a mountain out of a molehill, blah, blah, blah. Like that was my attitude and God really changed my heart on that. And so I would just ask you to listen with the understanding that that is where I came from and here I am now. There's a reason I made that transition and it's number one due to God, but also because of the facts that Marsha Montenegro shares in this episode. Okay. Thank you for letting me give that intro. Um, I think this is going to be something that you really enjoy. The other thing I want to say before starting is that the sponsor of today's episode is my friend Leanne Tenbrink with Guaranteed Foods. Another announcement is if you have not left a review for Kindled, I would love for you to do that. You can do so in the Apple Podcasts app, leave a star rating and some words. It just seriously helps the show so much get found by other people, and uh, and I, I appreciate that. It takes about 60 seconds to click over and do that. So while you're listening, you can even leave the review, and um, it'll take a few days for iTunes or you know Apple Podcasts to approve it, and then it'll show up. So I appreciate 
you guys doing that. The other note is that if you want more from Kindled and you want to get double the amount of episodes, sign up for our Firestarters group. That is our Patreon community. It is $10 a month and you get an extra episode every Friday. So instead of just getting these Monday episodes, you also get one on Friday. So that's double the amount of episodes from me. Those Friday episodes are just me and the mic. They're solo topics, conversational. It's just me chatting about something that is either in the news, current events, a theological, social, political, cultural topic, something like that from a biblical worldview. Last week, I talked about friendship versus fellowship and shared uh, some of my personal uh, story in life of how I've walked through the difference of, you know, building strong friendships versus uh, actually building friendships that that gave me biblical fellowship and and kind of broke down what that has looked like in my own life and also looked at a bunch of scripture and what the Bible has to say on that. Who can truly be a friend to us? So that is a an amazing place to get more from Kindled and from me. If you want more, if you find yourself running out of episodes to listen to, or you know, you just want a little bit of a deeper dive. The other thing we're doing in that community is once a month we are going live on a Zoom call. Last month was our first one. It was so fun. We did 60, well, we did 90 minutes. We're going to sh- we're going to shoot for keeping it up to 60 minutes where we discuss some kind of theme or topic each month. And um the girls who logged on kind of weighed in on what they want to talk about. And I think our next one uh for this coming up this upcoming month is church and just the struggle that a lot of people have had with finding a biblically solid and sound church and in uh, a gospel oriented, but also a biblical church that is following the biblical mandate of meeting together and has their doors open, despite in some places, uh, you know, imminent persecution and um, threats of, you know, government uh, impo- imposing their, you know, regulations to shut shut them down, shut their doors, as we know has happened in Canada And there's some girls in Canada who are in this group who are, you know, legitimately meeting in secret. So um, I would I would definitely recommend that if you want to get to know other ladies who are like minded to you and uh, just come and be encouraged in in that group. You can join us at patreon.com slash kindled podcast. Okay, that is all I have. So let's get into my conversation with Marsha Montenegro. Marsha, welcome back to Kindle. This is your second time back. Yes, thank you for having me again, Haley. I'm excited to chat with you today a little more in depth on a topic that we started to scratch the surface of in our last conversation, uh, the Enneagram. And, you know, uh, uh, listeners who have heard that first episode will know that um, I was at, at the time that we recorded, I was at a church that had actually taught that to the small group leaders as part of our uh, leadership development curriculum. And, um, and I saw no issues with it at first. Um, but you know what? I always get ahead of myself cause I'm so excited to chat with you. <laughs> Why don't you introduce yourself to people? I'll okay. let you do that. <laughs> okay. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I, um, am a former, uh, new ager, former professional astrologer. Um, I was in the new age a really long time, like 20 years involved in, um, Hindu beliefs, Tibetan Buddhism, and then Zen Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So I did all the Eastern meditation stuff. Um, I had tarot cards. I um, was, astrology was my main focus the last 10 years that I was in the new age. But I was, uh, you know, I had this whole different worldview and the Lord intervened in my life and um, brought me out of, of the new age. 
and I encountered the real Jesus Christ and trusted in the real Christ. And so I, I became a Christian. And eventually that led to um, speaking about my experiences and talking about the new age. And that led to a full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. So I now have a full-time ministry, Christian Answers for the New Age. I've actually had it now going on, um, boy, this is hard to believe, going since 1998. That's going on 23 years. That's crazy. (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness, it makes me sound old. (laughs) Um, So, uh, makes you sound experienced and like a like a a a professional. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess it's experience and um, probably about equal to the number of years, maybe a little bit more than I was in the New Age. So. Um, you, know, you put those two together and then you think about, I was an adult and then you add it all up, mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. it comes up to a number way up there. But anyway, um, so I have been into the, I have been doing this ministry a long time mm-hmm. and have been tracking the new age and explaining it to Christians and reaching out to people in the new age. Mm-hmm. So I do that with uh, my website and uh, with a lot of articles that have been published, a lot of podcasts and webcasts and interviews like I'm doing with you mm-hmm. and also um, two books. So I've, I've uh, tried to share as much information as I can and when I can. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're all over the place. You're prolific with your, um, with your posts on Facebook and your website. You have so much great content there. And you are all over the place on podcasts. I hear you all the time on, on various podcasts. And I love that because more people need to hear some of the stuff that you have to share. So I'm, I'm happy that you are getting as much traction as you are. Um, I, yeah. So today I I do want to talk a little more in depth about the Enneagram and um, you know, I guess the, some of the reasons that you would say it's not, it's not safe. It's not beneficial it's not helpful and it's actually not just not beneficial but harmful to um to believers and to christians to engage in um i as i shared on the the first episode we did i was introduced to it at our church that we are no longer at today but they did introduce it as part of the leadership curriculum and um and i saw no problem with it at the at the beginning because to me it just seemed like another personality test and um, at that, it was an accurate one. I, I took the test. I scored really high in three different numbers that I felt like all really accurately described me. And so I thought, you know, and they even had an explanation for that. Like, well, when you score high, that means you're this type of a personality, you're an extreme personality, which is something that fit with what I had believed about myself, according to, you know, how I was raised. My parents always told me like, you go from zero to 60 and in a, in a minute, you know, and you're just, you're just really intense and you like have some self-control or calm down or not get angry so fast. So there was like all kinds of things that made it easy for me to one, identify with, with some of the numbers. And then two, even like that, it, it felt like it was validated by what I had already believed about myself. And so right. it helped me, or I thought that it helped me understand myself better. And, um, and, and, and even understand my husband. And that was why they taught it to us. They said it would, it would be good for interpersonal relationships and it was a neutral tool. You know, that's what everyone says. Neutral tool, neutral tool, which, you know, I I asked no questions. I had no issues. Um, however, I guess what I found over time was that, um, 
and I'm, I'm starting out telling you this because I think this is probably something that you hear from a lot of people who, who realize it later, but, um, I found that I became so interested in learning about myself that I became obsessive about reading the books, listening to the podcast. I read the road back to you by Ian Cron. I started listening to the typology podcast where I would hear then, you know, so first it was just, I'm interested in the Enneagram because I want to learn about myself. But then as I started learning about myself through these other, um, you know, media and content platforms or, or uh, these, these different authors who had written or produced content around the Enneagram, I was getting introduced to other names too, mm-hmm. like Father Richard Rohr, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, as an example, just Ian Cron, he has all kinds of people on that are, mm-hmm. that are absolutely not Christians in the least, even like Jen Hatmaker who I knew to not be someone that was trustworthy in terms of her doctrine. But at the same time, I was hearing things from Ian Cron, this expert on the Enneagram, that I was uh, I was less likely to notice them as red flags because I thought he was trustworthy because of his, you know, um, expertise in the Enneagram, which I had been told was this neutral tool that Christians can and should use. Mm -hmm. And so I found that I was just getting introduced to all kinds of different ideologies and teachers and things that I then it started to really muddy the waters for me in terms of weight. So I know, you know, Jen Hackmaker's off out of bounds, but I guess I didn't know like that there was anything wrong with the Enneagram. I had no reason to believe a problem existed with anything he believed because I just thought, you know, the Enneagram is this neutral thing. If someone's talking about it, it's neutral. It's not bad or negative. I didn't have my guard up. Right. That's something right. that you hear from people. Oh yeah. All, all the time, all the time. Yeah. And that's very common. Um, and a lot of people would say the same thing that you just did. And that is one reason I started so aggressively <laughs> warning on Facebook after the road back to you came out, mm-hmm. I started posting a lot more on it. I still did not at that time and that was 2016, think that it would be that big a deal in the church. You know, I thought, okay, it's going to make some waves in some churches here and there, maybe, or some Christians here and there will latch on to it. Um, but then the next year, when the sacred Enneagram came out from Zondervan by Chris, Chris Horitz, uh, I thought, uh-oh, you know, here's another, here's another book from a Christian yeah. publisher. And of course, by then it was already beginning to be talked about some more and and he was doing book tours. He was going to seminaries and churches to talk about it. And so then I I clearly thought there is a real, there's going to be a problem with this. And so I I just kept warning when it started, you know, when I started seeing it really beginning to get popular was probably 2018. Mm. And I was, I learned about it. Is it? Yeah. And so I started posting um, about it. There were still a lot of people that didn't know what it was, Mm -hmm. but I thought, you know, it seems to be gaining ground. So I'm going to keep posting about it. And of course, in 2019, it just like it exploded. It was just like an explosion of the Enneagram in the church. (laughs) And it was every, it seemed to be almost everywhere. And of course, by then you had, you know, Ian Cron doing, I don't know when he started his typology podcast but I know it was going by then and uh, more people were teaching it in the church I began to um, find out about churches who where the pastors were doing sermons on it 
And, you know, people were telling me that, oh, now my, um, you know, my pastor mentioned it or Mm -hmm. the women's ministry leader in our church, you know, has this Enneagram book and thinks it's good. And so all, so then all of a sudden it was really like a, it was like a flood. And so it was very hard to keep up with. Um, I tried to keep up with the initial books that were coming out because they were still spaced enough apart that I could keep track of them. And I can't do that anymore. I mean, by the latter part of last year, um, 2020, I I could no longer keep track. And my co-author, Don Vino, on our book, Richard Warren, The Enneagram Secret, has said there's at least 40 titles now, Hmm. Enneagram titles from that are considered Christian books. Wow. Uh, so <laughs> I sort of, I sort of gave up on trying to keep up with it, but mm-hmm. I do try to be informed. So I think the problem is, uh, that a lot of people don't know, um, what should be a red flag. They don't, they don't recognize things that are red flags. Mm. Uh, for example, this Enneagram, people were saying it was ancient Mm-hmm. And so then the question should be, if it's ancient, why is it I'm only hearing about it now? Mm-hmm. Why is it only now that these the, my church or these churches want to teach it? Where did it come from? If it was ancient, then and all of a sudden, this is the first time I've ever hearing about it. It's kind of like there's that causes um, it should there should be a question in somebody's mind that because that doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Right. It's not, it's not logical at all. So it's like it was ancient, but then what was it buried for centuries and centuries and then rediscovered, which is a very bizarre thing anyway, if you mm-hmm. said that, like, oh, we just rediscovered it. Um, so there was, th- that was one thing. The other thing was um, Ian Cron. I don't think anyone looked into him. He is an associate of Richard Rohr and teaches at his school um, now. And, and that's the second problem. A lot of people didn't know anything about Richard Rohr. Right. So some of the major people associated with this were either new to Christians mm-hmm. uh, or probably mostly they were new and they didn't know much about him. So they, and they accepted it if their church or if another Christian that they know is doing it, they assume that these people must be okay. And especially if you get a book from a a so-called Christian publisher like IVP, The Road Back to You, you assume they wouldn't publish this book if there was anything dubious about it, you know? And that's totally what I assumed too. I I thought, you know, we typically assume the best, especially when things are brought to us by our church or our pastors or our women's leaders. And and we wouldn't think that they would intentionally mislead us not even saying that they did, but it's so easy for um, anyone, especially without the context of knowing like who some of these teachers were, where they were coming from, what tradition or, or ideology or religion they were coming from, you would have really had no reason to question it. Um, If it's just another Myers-Briggs, for instance, if it's just another personality test, what's the big deal? Right, Um, exactly. Right. Which is, I think where a lot of Christians come from today who still use it, who kind of refute or, or um, are resistant to the idea that they shouldn't be using the Enneagram. They're like, what's the big deal? It's, it's a personality test. 
I take it. It's got questions. I could do the same thing on any number of websites. Any number of different tests might give me results that say, hey, you tend to be this way. This person tends to be that way. What is the big deal with the Enneagram? Why why is it suddenly so demonized? You know, why aren't you guys going after right. the Myers-Briggs or some other right. test? What, what's your answer to that? Yeah. Okay. Here's my answer to that. Um, the Enneagram, first of all, has zero validity. I mean, it doesn't come from psychology mm-hmm. or a psychologist or studies. It's not based on personality theories. It's a completely ad hoc tool that comes mainly the teachings in the Enneagram today mainly come from two men, both of whom did spirit contact. One was an occult teacher and the other was a new ager Um, that the Enneagram, all the information in the Enneagram is based on what they did with it. And prior to that, it had nothing to do with personality. It was this occult diagram of the universe used by George Gurdjieff, who's the one who came up with it in 1916. And it, you know, he taught it in this very spiritual way, this diagram of reality that you could put all the laws of the universe into it. And it was a tool to show how you could awaken because he taught we're all asleep. We don't know our our reality and we have to awaken to the, he called it the new man. And then he had this very occult esoteric teaching and the steps you had to go through. And that was, that was where the Enneagram was. So for a long time, it was just among the followers of Gurdjieff and his pupil, Uspensky, who's the one who wrote about it. And Gurdjieff never wrote about the Enneagram. Um, so Uspensky wrote about it. They both died in the late 1940s. And, and up at that point, The only people who knew about it were followers of the teachings from these two men. Uh, Then it got into the hands of Oscar Ichazo, the occult teacher. And that's where it first started to take on. uh, Even he didn't teach personality, but it took on more of a um, identity that it has today. So what I, so I'm trying to make the point that there is no comparison between that and the Myers-Briggs because, and how much validity does Myers-Briggs have? Psychologists don't think it has any. In fact, personality mm-hmm. tests are not considered valid in psychology really? because, yeah, because there's no way to really test for it. Um, there's no, uh, you know, the concept is very subjective you know, what traits are you going to call what? How do you test for this trait, that trait? They all, the, what I have learned is that there's something called the big five, which are five um, characteristics that are grouped together, I think, and people tend to fall in one of those. Mm-hmm. And there is a test given by, um, and his name's completely gone out of my head. Uh, he's a psychologist. He's not a Christian, but a lot of uh, Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah, Um, he he came up with a test based on the big five. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to do that kind of test, I would say take his because at least it's grounded in some kind of psychological theory. But Mm -hmm. even he will say it can't be totally accurate. Yeah. And these I heard him give a talk on this one time. Hmm. And, you know, he knows what he's talking about. So even the Myers-Briggs is not really considered valid. And you can take it at different times in your life and get different results. But one of the big differences between that and the Enneagram is that the Enneagram is a spiritual tool. Mm. Myers-Briggs is not spiritual. It makes no spiritual claims. The right. Enneagram is rooted 
and mm-hmm. spiritual claims, but it's a spirituality opposed mm-hmm. to Christianity. So origins matter. <laughs> In this case, they do, because yeah. this is supposed to show who you are. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to use a tool as a Christian that's supposed to tell you who you are, it's going to matter where it's coming mm-hmm. from. <laughs> right. I mean, I, it totally makes sense. Origins and intent matters. Um, and I mean, we would say that, uh, you know, we would even, we could draw that at that same principle to um, music that we listen to. I mean, we could say the intent behind the music matters, even if say on the face of it, there's no lyrics or no cuss words or no huge problems for us. If, if we understood that the intent of the person who wrote that song was to indoctrinate someone to believe X thing that is not true, well, then we would stay away from it. We wouldn't maybe let our kids listen to it. You know, it just seems, it seems like a principle that we can understand in other areas, but when it comes to the Enneagram, people are looking past that and want to find a way to redeem it. Um, yes. Which yes. That's, that's language I know you're familiar with. Very familiar with. Yes. And so talk uh, about that. Okay. I will. I, I want to say a few more things about the origins because there okay. is something called the genetic fallacy. And this is what I heard from people a lot, or people would tell me, Marsha, I shared um, your Enneagram article with my friend or with my pastor, and they said, you're committing the genetic fallacy. Um, And so the genetic fallacy is that you say something is invalid due to its origins only. In other words, Mm -hmm. you are dismissing it because of its origin, and that's the only thing you have against it. Now, that genetic fallacy is true for certain things. For example... Uh, the wedding ring was a pagan was that came from pagan societies. Okay. Mm -hmm. Christians didn't come up with a wedding ring. So if you use a genetic fallacy on that and say, okay, well, you know, you're getting married, but you can't have a wedding ring because that was invented by pagans. That's the genetic fallacy because the fact it came from pagans doesn't affect Mm -hmm. what it means in to you and your husband getting married as Christians. You it's a symbol right. for you committing to each other. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't it's a it's basically a ring, it's an object, so it's neutral. It doesn't okay. carry an inherent meaning in it. It's okay. just a ring, it's a piece of jewelry. So in that case, you would commit the genetic fallacy if you said, well, I can't use a wedding ring because it has a pagan origin. Mm-hmm. Um, so certain things, especially objects that are just you know, they're just objects. Um, they can't be good or bad because they're just objects. A fork can't be good or bad. A ring can't be good or bad. <laughs> a car can't be good or bad. You know, you could have a car. I don't know if there are any atheists, um, you know, invented a certain, you know, Chrysler was invented by atheists or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But in that case, it's just an object. My car is spiritually neutral. It doesn't matter who invented it or who designed it. Right. Um, so if I said, well, I found out the atheist was the head of that company and they designed my car. So I don't want to drive that car anymore. That's a genetic fallacy. But when you have a tool that is supposed to give insights on you and is being used in a spiritual way, then the origin matters because it was designed for a certain purpose. Right. It was designed with a meaning in it. Mm-hmm. And for a certain purpose, and it's based on a philosophy or a spiritual view. Mm-hmm. And therefore, is if that philosophy or spiritual view is contrary 
to <clears throat> biblical view, then yeah, then the origin matters. I don't know if I explained it. Well. Yeah. So like, so kind of coming full circle, the, the ring can be extracted out of its maybe original context and it right. can be given a new right. symbolic meaning that is completely devoid of any reference to that other pagan world right. and, and right. time. Whereas the Enneagram cannot be extracted out because inerrant in the Enneagram is the intent to be a spiritual tool for you to find, you know, your true self and uncover the yes. true self and all that, which are, right. which are not biblical concepts. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so it's real important for people to understand that distinction and to realize something can be spiritually neutral and then other things cannot be spiritually neutral. Um, And especially objects, you know, I don't have, I can't really think of an object that Mm -hmm. there are objects that represent things that are um, contrary to Christianity, like a, a symbol, like a pentagram. Okay. A lot of Wiccans and witches use it. Now the pentagram itself is, is as a design is just a geometric design and right. it's neutral. But right now in our culture, it stands for mm-hmm. a certain worldview. Mm-hmm. And so a Christian w- isn't going to wear a pentagram. Okay. Right. Cause they're going to identify people will identify you mm-hmm. a certain way. But at the same and, time, if you happen to have like a candle or like a vase that is shaped like a pentagram are you going to go and throw that in the trash in your home just because you're like oh no it's a pentagram pentagram it has this special magical power well not necessarily it's sort of the same it, it's like yeah you you want to not mislead anyone who might right. be it's, it's the meat conversation you know meat yeah sacrifice in, to that, idols. in that case it is yeah right. in that case it is and a lot of people did use that idea from the bible about the meat for idols and they would say the enneagram is a meat for idols issue and my response to that was no, because meat is is neutral. It is, um, you know, it's a food from an animal that God God made the animals, and this is food from an animal. It's neutral. Um, now, well, the issue with that was that when it was offered to idols, uh, Christians who had been pagans and had worshipped those gods that bought that bothered their conscience because they knew they had been involved in that, and they just couldn't eat that meat. And so Paul's saying, you know, don't hurt their conscience. You know, if you're just eating it by yourself or with other people who mm-hmm. were never pagans, then it's not going to bother you and it's okay. So there, you know, there, it, there's all kinds of, of, of different, <laughs> yeah. different ways to look at these things. So we have to think carefully about it. Yeah. And um, the Enneagram, not only is it doesn't matter because it has this inherent spirituality in it, but it has no validity anyway. So it can't actually tell anybody anything about themselves. Even the new agers who use the Enneagram starting in the 1980s and, you know, they still use it now, although I don't think it's quite as popular in the new age now as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gone mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Because it's gone mainstream. Yeah, that's, that was now in the church. How does a week of free food sound? pretty great, right? Well, my friend Leanne at Guaranteed Foods is offering you just that when you try out the in-home risk-free trial of her company's service. For a portion of their total food bill, thousands of families throughout Mid-America are enjoying complete home food service. That's a free delivery of the finest additive-free meats, seafood, poultry, and side dishes, individually portioned, packaged to eliminate waste. Professional food economists actually provide ordering and meal planning assistance, and they help tailor their products to your family's food budget, family size, and dietary needs. 
There is a high likelihood that food prices are going to continue to rise this year as gas becomes more expensive, as transportation becomes more expensive for all the foods that are being shipped across the country. If you want to lock in your family's food dollar at a very reasonable rate, I would suggest you text Leanne today and check out Guaranteed Foods, exactly what they can provide to your family. She'll explain it all. She's great. She's a Christian. She's a listener of Kindled, and she is just another mom trying to feed her family healthy meals. Text my friend Leanne at 785-979-7970 and tell her Haley sent you and she will get you hooked up with all the information you need. Leanne brought me some samples of this food and it is legitimately good. Like I'm not just saying that. I'm not just saying that because she's a sponsor of Kindled. I'm telling you, this is food I enjoyed eating. I loved cooking. It Having that kind of stuff in your freezer helps you eat out less, which saves you money if you're anything like me. I, if I don't have easy options, I'm going to end up eating out. And that's like the worst thing you can do. It's the most expensive way to eat, but guaranteed foods helps you not to do that. The freezer unit price is going up by 20% on April 1st. So Leanne wants you to be able to take advantage of the lower price. Now text her at 785-979-7970. And you know what the Enneagram Institute, which is a completely, totally new age organization and was founded by two New Agers has changed its website four times since 2011. And each time it changed, it became less and less New Agey. When I first went there in 2011, it had all it had all kinds of stuff on it that you could tell it was a New Age website. And that's when I wrote my first article on the Enneagram was in 2011 for my website. And then when I went back later, I noticed it had changed. And then again, I went back four times. And the last time I went there, it was it was a lot more, um, uh, let's say, it's, they were trying to look more professional mm-hmm. and more buttoned down and not as spiritual. Yeah. And so it was much harder to tell because I noticed a lot of Christians were referring to it and going there to get information as though they were some kind of mm-hmm. uh, respected authority. Right. And, you know, and I kept saying the Enneagram Institute is new age. I'm sorry, but you should not use them as a source for anything. (laughs) So I was having a hard time getting that message out there. But now that this all kind of relates to the what you ask about, can we redeem it? Mm -hmm. And um, that so here's my answer to that. First of all, God is the one who is redeeming, redeems. He's the one who is going to redeem things or shows us that things have been redeemed. Mm -hmm. We can't decide I'm going to redeem this. (laughs) You know, this, I don't care if it comes from the occult. I want to use it. So I'm going to redeem it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and if you look at what God talks about in the Bible about redemption, it's people that he redeems. He redeems people. Um, he uses people in the Bible who are not on God's side. He used Balaam, the false prophet. Um, he used Cyrus, who was a pagan king. Mm-hmm. So God can, and he used the Magi who were pagan. Pharaoh. Yeah. He used Pharaoh. Yeah. Oh, Pharaoh's a good example. Mm-hmm. And so God will work through those people because he, he knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> And it's so, just, it's just the same with uh, circumstances in our lives that are uh, suffering, you know, that, that suffering or that evil that we're experiencing as a result of living in a fallen, broken world, isn't 
from the hand of God, but God will use that in our lives. He redeems it in the lives of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we can trust that nothing is wasted. And I would even, I could even make the case that God used the Enneagram in my life because I'm his, not because he's using the Enneagram, but because he's redeeming me out of it. And now I can share the story of, of how I got tripped up by it and how for two years I got uh, completely taken off course and, and really dove into a world of learning about myself and being obsessively consumed with knowledge of self and not knowledge of God. And so I, I would point to that and say, God used my own um, misstep and, and redeemed me out of something, but he did not redeem it for me to use it. You right. Know? Exactly. Exactly. And the fact that he used that circumstance in your life does not mean using Enneagrams. Okay. Right. So he'll, you know, he'll use people like we mentioned, that doesn't mean God's endorsing their views. Exactly. doesn't mean he agrees yeah. with what Pharaoh believes or what Balaam believed. Mm-hmm. You know, it just means he was able to use them for his purposes and he's able to use circumstances that yeah. um, are bad for his mm-hmm. purposes. But, you know, God redeems people and he doesn't redeem occult tools you know, because if you, if people want to make the argument that he can redeem the Enneagram, then you're going to have to explain how God can redeem the Ouija board mm-hmm. and tarot cards, you know. And um, why and he would astrology. want to. Why does God need to do that? It just well, that's sense. what I say about the Enneagram. Why, it's yeah. like, why it's like you know, I'm just, you know, I'm making this comparison with the Ouija board because honestly, the Enneagram is a, as, as occultic as the Ouija board. It but just Christians doesn't would appear. Yeah. It doesn't appear that way, but it is. And um, I had mentioned Oscar Chazo, who was the first the first person. He somehow came across the Enneagram. And he had an occult school in Eureka, Chile. And he taught the Enneagram. He had the nine numbers around it stand for ego fixation. Hmm. Um, and ego fixations were the false self that you had built up on your essence, your true essence, which is pure. Because everybody, what he taught is everybody's born with a pure essence. And then this um, false self gets built up and you start identifying with the false self and that's your ego fixation. And you're you're in one of those nine ego fixations. That's what's become your, your view of yourself. And you have to use that and work through it to to uncover the true self. Hmm. So that was how he taught it. He didn't teach it in terms of personality or types. It was the, his student, Claudio Naranjo, who took the Enneagram and gave it the nine types and the names that we know today, which he says he got mostly via automatic writing, which is spirit contact. And Ichazo did spirit contact too. Hmm. He claimed his group was guided by an interior master Hmm. and there were two spirits in particular that he allegedly had contact with or that he saw as sources for his guidance and and naranjo is very open about his spirit contact his contact with the spirit world i've watched several um hours of videos of naranjo speaking Hmm. they're on youtube and in two of them is where he admits he he got the information for the types from automatic writing. What he and he calls he called it automatic writing, but he calls these spirits higher authorities. 
So he said he got the information from higher authorities and he trusts, he trusts that as a source. Wow. So um, you have here somebody who's just blatantly in contact with the spirit world. And as Christians, we know the spirit world is uh, not from God. And what we're talking about here are fallen angels. Mm-hmm. And I had spirit guides, you know, as an, a new ager and as an astrologer. So I'm very aware of how these spirit spirits work and how they can guide you. And they seem benevolent. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he was deceived. He thought these were, I'm sure he thought these were good spirits. However, he saw them and he thought he was doing something good. So this Enneagram goes into the new age and it goes into the Catholic church. That was the initial thing that happened to it. Um, And the Catholic church never endorsed it, by the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and some of the Catholics who had learned it turned against it and exposed it. Richard Rohr is one of those early Catholics who learned it from the first people, the first Catholics who were learning the Enneagram. Richard Rohr was there and he learned it and he completely embraced it Mm -hmm. and then wrote a book about it with a a man named Andreas Ebert, who was a Lutheran pastor. Uh, And it came out a couple of times. It was first in German and then it was published uh, later in English so around 1991, their book comes out and it's called The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. So the title gives the impression that this is a Christian tool right. and that you can use it as a Christian. Right. And that book, um, for a while in the 90s, it was probably used here and there by people, but it wasn't, as far as I know, it wasn't influential. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't influential until around maybe 2008, 2009, when the um, progressives, who used to be called the Emergence, mm-hmm. uh, the Emergent Church was Rob Bell and Brian McLaren and Tony Jones and people like that. And they became the progressives and they started having gatherings and they were having the Enneagram taught at these conferences. That's what caused me to write my first article in 2011 is that I saw it in the progressive church. And so I thought, you know, I should say something about it because these progressives are using it and people might think it's okay. So I wrote my article Um, and then it, it, it went from there. It seeped into the, the evangelical church, mainly through that book, the road back to you being published. Right. And, and, and that's other publishers. Yeah. I, and that was my, my experience as well. And, and I mean, I heard people in my church saying, Oh my gosh, have you read this book? It's so great. Um, which again, like when something's being recommended by your friends, your Christian friends, you don't really have a reason off the bat right. or without right. context to, to suspect it. And so it's, it's so easy, especially because, um, everybody likes learning about themselves. Um, I mean, who doesn't show me right. everyone who doesn't want to understand themselves better or feel like someone else understands them. And when you take a test that feels, uh, as though because of your perception that, um, that it kind of nails you and your personality, um, it's really fun. It's, there's like an exhilaration about it. Like, oh my gosh, yes. understands me. Oh my gosh, exactly. they get it. How, how did they know? How is this so accurate? I remember thinking that and saying that so many times, which leads me to another question that I have been asked um, by people. Uh, there is there is some thinking out there that, like you mentioned, because of the origins from Claudio Naranjo and his involvement in the spirit world, which we would 
we would recognize as Christians to be fallen angels, that perhaps the Enneagram is so accurate because it is it is real or it is accurate information that was revealed, but, but should not have been revealed. That it is, it is forbidden information, if you will, that Christians hmm. should not have access to, but they were given access by demonic influences or spirits in order to, you know, draw them away from God, draw them away from truth. And, and hmm. in a sense, the same way that even the garden was given this forbidden information, forbidden knowledge. She wasn't supposed to have the knowledge that she was naked, but when she ate the fruit, she fell. And then she, her eyes were opened in a way to the reality of her circumstances that she had not seen before. They've said that that's the reason we shouldn't, I've, I've had a few people say, you know, I, I agree. We shouldn't pursue the Enneagram and here's why I think, I think that it's actually real and, and that the demons used it to uh, they, they revealed it to this guy to get it into the minds and hearts of people and, and basically to cause them to be drawn away from the truth, because um, we know that anything can be turned into an idol. And if it's, if it's something that's actually um, grounded in reality, it might be even that much more powerful. What do you think about that concept? Yeah, I have heard this idea um, only recently. I think it's one of the latest uh, ideas about the Enneagram to, to develop. Uh-huh. Um, and and my, my response to that is that I do think there is a mixture of truth in, I think that, I think most uh, deceptions are mixtures of truth and falsehood. I think that's why they're so deceptive is because there's little bits of truth in there. Right. So I, I wouldn't go so far as to say, well, it is accurate. And, you know, because demons don't know that much. They, they uh, you know, they're not, we can't give them that much credit. They're not, um, they're very good at deceiving. Um, Satan has had a long time to observe human nature so he yeah. does know things that appeal to us and what makes us trip up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little too much to ascribe to them some kind of psychological uh, genius that they can <laughs> come up with, with something like this. Because, and the reason, one reason I say that is because it's been shown to be invalid when you put it to the test. Um, I know two Christian psychologists, including one who's been teaching for years at a seminary, who have tested it the way you can test a Myers-Briggs or the strength finders test and all of that. There's certain ways that you put it through a test. And he said that you can't even test the Enneagram because it's so, it's so inconsistent and that the nine types are not even built on anything consistent in psychology. Um, And the other, the other person, Jay Medenwald, who's, who's active on um, Facebook and some people may even know who he is. We quoted him in our book. He put it through a test. He has a two-part article on it. The first part he goes into, it's so technical, I didn't understand it because I don't know all that technical language. And he goes through and explains how it fails the test as being a personality tool. And then part two, he explains why people believe it. Mm. And he says exactly what I had been saying before I even read what he wrote. I had been saying it works the same way as astrology. And that's what he says. He says it works on the same principles that astrology does. In other words, why people believe they're a Gemini or they say, well, I'm such an Aries or I've had my chart done and, you know, I'm an Aries sun and a Libra moon and um, Capricorn rising. And that's so me. It makes so much sense. I fit that perfectly. And so the reason people think astrology fits them and astrology works 
and I mean, I was an astrologer, so I can really speak to this, are the same reasons that people think the Enneagram works. And there's, and he gives 11 different factors for that. Mm. I don't remember all of them, but a few of them are the confirmation bias, where you already think something is true about you, and then you get it validated. Yeah. Um, and Which is what I said. I, yeah, that's exactly what I told you. Yeah, right. It's exactly what you said. Um, there's something called the, the foray effect. Um, there's, there's what I used to say when I was explaining, um, astrology to people and they would say, well, why does it seem to work? I said, if you want to believe something and you're open to it, you will accept it and you will reject anything that's not true. You will accept what rings true and reject Mm -hmm. and forget what doesn't ring true. Um, so there's there, which is maybe like confirmation bias and, um, the foray effect is that I think is that terms are put in such a, actually a general way that they would actually fit a lot of people, but you think that's you. So you think it fits you. Um, and this is very true in astrology too, because really, if you look at the Zodiac sign, they're just describing different aspects of human nature. And um, if you get right down to it, <laughs> You could you could make a chart sound true for anybody, and they actually did an experiment with this years ago um, in, a, in a university. The professor asked everybody in the class for their birth date. They turned in their birth date. He said, "I'm going to have these these horoscopes done for you or charts done for you on astrology." And then he came back, you know, the next day or next week, and he passed out papers to everybody. And he said, "Okay, I gave each one of you." the information based on your birth date. And I want you to read it. So everybody read it. And then he said, how many of you think this fits you? Almost everyone in the room raised their hand. And he said, okay. He said, now pass it to the person in front of you. And so everybody passed it to the person in front of them. And they looked at it and it was the same. It was one, everybody got the same interpretation, (laughs) exact same thing. And almost everybody said, this is me. So there is, you know, we're not really as savvy about ourselves as we think we are. Oh, that's another thing um, Jay said in his article. He said self-deception plays into it Hmm. because we often are not really seeing ourselves the way we are. We see ourselves as we have a certain picture in our minds of what we're like and who we are. It's usually probably better than what we are. (laughs) And and we tend to think that's that's me Mm because, you know, we like that. I like that about me. Mm -hmm. That's me. And um, it's it's self-deception. So, you know, and he gave other reasons I can't remember in his part two. So there are a lot of reasons why it seems to work. And that the idea that the demons were giving some kind of um, hidden knowledge, I don't think so. I just don't think they know that much. But I think parts of it, yes, were true. Because they're and, true about everybody. Yeah, yeah. And that and that hits, yeah, and that hits home for a lot of people. I've right. had people tell me though that they tried to do that, find their type on the Enneagram and they they were like all over the place. They were like, yeah. well, I was like a, a one and a seven, and I was a four and a six and a nine. Right. And, which is know. which is actually how the testing even works, is you are on the spectrum in every number. It's just that you're typically you're higher in one than another. But there are people who test, you know, say in the low 
tens to twenties for every single number, but there's an explanation for that. And what that means is blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah, when, yeah. when you test low on everything, that means this. And there's, it's almost like it's unfalsifiable. Um, yeah, yeah. there's an explanation for yeah. every single outcome yeah. that you get. And it all means something, which means yeah. it can't be proven false. Um, and I think even just deeper than what we're discussing here, which is why does it seem to work? I think, you know, I would just point to my experience and the experience of a lot of believers and Christians who have walked away from using the Enneagram is that, um, it, it actually functions to, uh, it's very, I I won't say that every Christian who has used it or taken the test or thinks it has validity does this, but I think the tendency is in the propensity there is that it becomes a little bit of a replacement for scripture. It becomes a replacement for, um, what we are meant to be learning about. And it's not ourselves, you know, we don't need to, we, the gospel message is not, um, learn more about yourself to be free. It is, it is die to self, lose Mm -hmm. your life and you will find it. And so Mm -hmm. it's actually very contrary to the message of the Enneagram, which should lead any critical thinking Christian to go, okay, so if the message from the Enneagram teachers and, and leaders and spiritual, you know, people that are, that are really big on it is, you know, you find your truer self so that God can then reveal to you the ways you need to grow or change or be transformed. Okay. That sounds like you've sort of Christianized it, but that's mm-hmm. actually contradictory to yeah. other scriptures. We, we should look at the whole council of scripture when identifying if something really um, aligns with the Bible or could be beneficial for us because in, in the premise of finding your true self, uncovering your, you know, your deepest self, whoever you are underneath those, those childhood woundings or the pain that you've, you know, that whatever the narrative is that they say, that's not a biblical concept at all. So it should lead us to go, how does that, how does that work inside of our Christian biblical worldview that that God tells us other things are, are how we are to actually find freedom and it's not through studying ourselves, you know? Right. Exactly. I mean, uh, you really put your finger on it there. And that was one of the things I, in some of my posts, there were so many angles I had to take different angles. I had to take in, in unmasking this Enneagram that, you know, I would have to do one thing at a time. I just couldn't do it all at once. There were too many things, but one of the things was about the self and the true self and the false self, which is a big thing in the Enneagram. And you know, like you said, we are supposed to die to ourselves. Plus the Bible says that we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Yeah. Christ is the model. It's not, well, who is the real Marsha? That's my model. You know, I want to be the real Marsha, you know, or the real Haley. No, it's Christ. I'm supposed to be looking at Christ. And so it takes you away from that and points you back to yourself. Plus the true self, the main influence of the Enneagram on the church has come from Richard Rohr. Now the Enneagram did develop in the new age and all that stuff about the looking past the, the wounds from childhood and all that, that's all new age psychology. Mm. Um, the new age psychologists really got their hands on the Enneagram big time because it's the perfect tool for new agers because it's so malleable. It has no standard. It has no objective truth that it's based on. So you can make, you can do anything with it mm-hmm. and you can come at it with a million different interpretations, just like an astrology chart. Uh, that's why it flourished um, so well in the new age. So Roar takes that 
and he, um, you know, puts, I guess he thinks a Christian spin on it, but Rohr's view is not Christian. And Rohr believes that the true self is actually a self that has never been separated from God. Right. And that's the true self. And all these other, the types are a false self. And, and recently, um, um, you know, I heard, um, what was it? I was li- uh, listening to a podcast done by, I think, Chris Horitz, who supposedly is a Christian Enneagram teacher, but he's a follower of Richard Rohr. He was mentored by Richard Rohr. Um, you know, talk about how, you, you know, you don't, you are not a type, you have a type, but you are not a type. You have a type that's covering your true self. And even Hurts talks talks about the essence, your essence, your true essence. And this is the same idea of what Roar is teaching. The self that has never been separated by God, from God. So you actually aren't separated from God by sin. This is, you know, this Mm -hmm. is what Roar believes. He doesn't believe sin separates anybody from God. Right. So, so for the Christian who's like, well, I don't use it that way. um, I don't say... I wouldn't agree with Roar on that. I believe that this, the the Enneagram personality types just, you know, the the failures of of my personality or the the errors or the the critique I would have for myself is because of sin. I would point to sin. I don't care what Father Richard Roar says about it. I'm pointing to sin and saying that's the reason I am, you know, afraid to speak or that's the reason I am too uh, aggressive or abrasive as I'm an eight and I'm a, I'm a abrasive personality. And, and I would point to sin and say, that's, it just reveals my sin areas. Right. Except that it, it can't because it, well, that wasn't how it was designed. That's not how the new, new age doesn't believe in sin. Right. So it didn't, it, that it wasn't like that in the new age and war doesn't believe sin is an issue. He may use the word, but he redefines it. Mm. And so that's not how it went into the progressive church. It be, it's what some Christians have done with it and tr- or else they've tried to put a Christian spin on it mm-hmm. so that you, the person in the pew who's hearing this from your pastor or your Sunday school teacher or your women's ministry leader is hearing, oh, this is the sin. This is my sin that I need to deal with. But that's the Christian spin on it. It's not what it is about. Right. Right. And so then, then I guess I would say, you know, and I've, this is a thought I've never had before. So tell me your thoughts on this, but you know, uh, the Enneagram is, I mean, we've established that Enneagram is not a neutral tool. It's a spiritual tool. However, whatever you thought you learned from the Enneagram might actually be true about you. Like if you said, okay, I already believed I was an abrasive person. And then I read the description of an eight, or I was, I was kind of a bullheaded person. And then I read the description of of an eight and it confirmed for me that I am that way. Well, the Enneagram didn't tell you that you already knew this was a sin issue. And so, yes, you still need to work on that sin. You still need to be transformed in the image of Christ in that area, but it's not because the Enneagram predicted or somehow identified this for you it's because that's a reality about your personality and who you are and and how how your sin propensity has affected you you know how you treat people or whatever it's not it's not a a a, some sort of it's not as though the enneagram shined a light on it it's like you 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 already maybe knew that about yourself and then as you thought about it as you thought like any of us might be able to do if we're introspective and think gosh, you know, what is it about me? How do I relate with my husband? Man, I I guess I am pretty 
um, I am pretty uh, impatient with him. And then I think about that, you know, wow, that's actually, that's not, that's not very kind or loving, or I'm, I'm not giving him a lot of grace. If I think about those things, I am going to be led to some of the same thoughts that the Enneagram might, might tell me, but it doesn't make the Enneagram true. Exactly. And, and, and yeah, one of the things I said when I was warning about the Enneagram is it's not going to give you any information about yourself. You don't already know. Yeah. And that's what I said. It's not going to tell you anything new that is true about you. Anything that you get out of it is going to be something you already know. And that we tend to do that. We tend to read into it and we, or we say, oh, that says abrasive. Yeah, that is how I am. Mm. And yeah, maybe that is how you are. So then you give credit to the Enneagram for being right. 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 And the other way that works is the same with astrology. Once you identify with that type, um, just like in astrology, you identify with that sign or, or with certain things in your chart, mm-hmm. you filter everything through it. Right. And then it makes right. it more real, you right. know, and it's like, oh, that's why I got into that argument with my sister. It's because I have this, you know, abrasive right. or I like confrontation or whatever it may be. And right. then you think, yeah, see that Enneagram is right. But mm-hmm. no, I, you know, I already knew that I was like that. That's why I yeah. get into arguments. Yeah. So, and and then know. what, and then what the Enneagram does, which I think is one of the ways it's been so successful at converting anyone and everyone Christian or non-Christian to, to kind of being a follower of it is, you know, it's shared far and wide on these little memes that um, say, you know, uh, how you respond in conflict. One, you do this, two, you do this, three, you do this, or things you would say at the dinner table on Thanksgiving. And then they, they tell you all the things, but all that is, is, is say, okay, I could do the same thing without the Enneagram type. I could say, if you're a, uh, a very help helpful person, you would tend to do this. Um, if you like helping people or you're a nurse or you're a whatever, if, if, if this is you, you're, you're what the Enneagram calls it too. If you are helpful mm-hmm. and you enjoy helping people, your response would be this. I could say the exact same thing based on any number of character traits I might notice about you. I might say you're very rigid and you tend to kind of have like a black and white view of reality and you don't need to have that view all the time. Sometimes things are gray and you can, you can, you know, be a little more understanding of people who think differently than you, but that's not true because the Enneagram said it. That's just true because it's true. It's just true about that person and about that trait. Exactly. So they could take a trait and then say, okay, so that means this, this, and this, and that's all going to be true because if you have that trait, right. that's right. true. <laughs> that's just right. True. And right. you don't need the Enneagram to tell you that. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and so I guess yeah. more accurate, you know, it does, it does make it seem accurate and that it, it gives it some sort of mysterious or mystical power um, yeah. to, to help you. And that's where I think the danger lies. It's not in yeah. simply noticing a sin pattern and going, gosh, I want to be less like that. I, I want to be more like Christ. That's not the danger. If anyone's doing that, it's like, cool. Well, okay. I'm glad that you recognize a sin area in your life. But the problem is that it very rarely stays just there. Like it did for me. That's how it was pitched to me and then sold to me and I started using it. But what I found was that I became obsessive about learning greater depths of knowledge about the Enneagram and the relation of the numbers and my wings and my response in certain situations. And I wasn't being transformed into the image of Christ. I was just learning a crap ton of information about myself. That's what I thought was myself or whatever the Enneagram told me I was. And I thought that I was somehow growing in wisdom by doing that. But 
at the end of the day, as I look back, I don't see any significant change in myself in growing in godliness during that time. I just see someone that was spending all of my free time, um, listening to podcasts about, you know, different types and, and couples who were a seven and a nine. And I wanted to find a couple that was an eight and a, and a three, like me and my husband, because I thought this will help our marriage, you know? And (laughs) it was so, um, it was kind of just such a, such a waste of time, I guess. Yeah. It's, it, it really, it draws you in. And this is what the occult and the new age do tools from the occult new age do this. They draw you in and then they keep pulling you in. Mm -hmm. They keep pulling in. There's more and more and more to be uncovered and it never has an end. It is, it is like a bottomless pit. You could go on forever in it. That's what, that's what astrology is like. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what the Enneagram is like. So now I'm seeing all these different spins on the Enneagram, you know, because now it's um, like you said, used for leadership development. It's used for discipleship. It's used for marriage. It's used for parenting. And now they even have devotionals. And they have a devotional on each type. So if you're a three, you could get a devotional for a three and you read that devotional and that's supposed to be a devotional. I, and to me, it just blows my mind because I'm like, how can you have a devotional on a type? You know, it's like, yeah. what? this is like insane. But that's a series that has come out from IVP and the editor is Suzanne Stabile, who was a mm-hmm. co-author with Ian Cron on the road back to you. Yeah. She was mentored for years she and her husband a methodist pastor were mentored mentored for years by richard Rohr. wow in cron did a um seminar with beatrice chestnut who is a new ager and so he did a seminar with her and i did a post on it and i said look i'm a missionary i have churches supporting me if i did a seminar with a new ager you know in a way that looked like i agreed with them my church, my, you know, my church would be calling me <laughs> as soon as I got home and they knew about, it, they'd be like, Marsha, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, or my mission agency, they'd be like, what are you up to? Mm-hmm. He does a seminar with a new ager and then she interviews him and she asks him, why do you think this is a good time to introduce Enneagram to the church? And he says, I think the church is porous. He says, it's more porous now and open to wisdom from outside sources. And that's, and he was right. He, unfortunately, he had his finger right on the truth there. It, it, the church was becoming more open at that point to, or when his book and um, Suzanne Stabile's book was published, it was becoming more open to wisdom from outside sources. And he used the term in the interview, he used the term perennial wisdom, which makes me, I feel from that and other things I've read by him that he's a perennialist. And I think Chris Horitz and his wife are too, from many things I've read and heard from them. I've listened to talks by him and, and her. Yeah. I want you to explain that. Um, but before we go on to that topic, I had one, one thing that I thought of as you were, you were saying, um, as you were talking was, I, I, I wonder if, part of the the risk too, is that the Enneagram, the premise is it's going to show you your sin tendencies or your, they would, maybe they don't call it sin, but it'll show you the box you're in and then how to get out. That's how it was explained to me. It doesn't put you in a box. It shows you the box you're already in. Uh However, the danger with that from a biblical perspective is that you, by taking this test and getting your number and getting your personality profile and all of that, 
you now know all your sin, you know, or, you know, all your areas. Right. And it's, and it, it tells you that this is, these are going to be your things. This is who you are. This is whatever you got to deal with. But that the risk there is that we now think we actually know ourselves and that we are, we are all knowing and, and all wise in our perception of ourselves. And that is actually the greater, maybe the greater danger is that all of the areas you are blind to, because now you think right. you're just a three and yeah. you think I could never possibly maybe care about um, this other thing or, or struggle with this other sin of, uh, of whatever the five deals with, because I'm a three and, right. and, and it creates a huge blind spot for you of areas that you now think are kind of off limits or not your issue. And you become so focused in on that one thing. Um, or that one, you know, that one profile that you become blind to all the rest. And I, I think that goes against scripture as well, because yeah. we are not supposed to lean on our own understanding. Exactly. Exactly. And that, but that's what it, it really creates a system where that is exactly what you do. Exactly. <laughs> you, you lean on your own understanding. <laughs> yeah. It's a replacement. Yeah. The Enneagram is a replacement for ultimately for uh, a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview, it becomes the filter. And then the Bible gets, you know, a more secondary place. And that's, of course, that's a huge danger. That's a, that's a real big danger right there. And I felt that that was happening because I kept seeing people who were into it and people who were teaching it, use it as the way to look at their Christian life and as the way to look at their relationship with Christ. And they're using the Enneagram for that and not the Bible. And, you know, to me, it was just horrific uh, because I knew what the Enneagram was and I knew what it was going to do. I knew it was destructive and that it could not end in anything good, but that a lot of people weren't going to see it. They were going to go along for the ride and they would be blinded. And so it was very, very, it was a very challenging thing for me to deal with trying to expose this uh, because it, it was kind of hard to explain. It wasn't something I could explain in one or two sentences, you know? Yeah. And, and there's not very many people speaking out against it. No, the there, no, there was. And as far as Facebook goes, I, I could be wrong, but I don't know anybody else on Facebook who was warning about it starting in 2014, which is when I actually started warning about it in 2014. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I was doing as many posts then until 2016 when the book came out, but I I did start because I found some old posts I did in 2014 on the Enneagram. And so I didn't even know I'd started back then. (laughs) So I was like, oh, I started early on that. But, you know, of course, hardly anybody paid attention to it because they know what it was. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And that, I don't know. I just kept warning about it. And people were like, Marsha, why do you keep, you keep all your posts are about the Enneagram. Why are you, why don't you pick something else? And I said, because mm-hmm. it's gaining ground mm-hmm. and this is a, this is a danger. This, there's yeah. really something destructive about it. And I yeah. can't, I can't, I can't be silent. It would be wrong for me to be silent. Yeah. So, well, I think we see now that that was uh, definitely the Holy spirit. Um, prompting you to do that. Um, and, and I know you were, you were going to explain perennialism. We're coming up on our time, but if you could kind of maybe quickly, um, might be hard, but if you, (laughs) if you would just let people know what that is, uh, so they understand some of the risks of following a teacher who believes that. Yes. Um, yes. And here's the thing. Most people who believe this aren't probably going to say they do 
and they may not use the word perennial. So that's the tricky so, part. So we have to identify it by the, by You have to kind box. of, yeah, you have to look for other things, but okay. the, the, what it is itself is the belief that all religions are rooted in the same truth. And mm. um, this isn't the same as there's truth in all religions. It's, it goes beyond that. This is, they're all rooted in the same truth, no matter how differently they appear outwardly. So it doesn't matter how, you know, this religion says this is who God is. And this religion says this is who God is, you know, Islam and Buddhism, which are very, very different, doesn't matter. They're rooted in the same one. And sometimes they call it a divine reality. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, the same. They all have the same God. Mm -hmm. And in this uh, perennial wisdom, um, the way to understand that you can't just know it. You can't just hear somebody say it and then think, Oh, that sounds like a good idea. I think I agree with that. You have to come to the realization yourself through a process of, of mystical practices. Mm -hmm. So they are very big on using what I call contemplative spirituality. Mm -hmm. So doing these contemplative practices, which are not using your mind, it's, it's, um, either a sort of a meditation where you're not thinking, but you're doing something else. You may be repeating a phrase in your mind, or you may just be sitting there in the silence and trying, trying to commune with God or something. So these mystical forms of meditation and by doing these, and they also have other exercises that they suggest you do where you read a passage of scripture and then you put yourself in the scripture and then you start imagining what Jesus would say to you and things like that. There's all kinds of little exercises and all of these things turn your thinking mind off and they actually, and they open you up to experience because the mm -hmm. whole idea is that you have to experience this truth in order to know it. And so all of these things lead to experiences that supposedly are, are, are God experiences or they're authentic. Um, and I want to mention the name of one person because his books are read in Christian colleges, in Christian seminaries, mm -hmm. uh, Christian counseling programs sometimes require his books. Um, and I've had more and more people tell me, oh yes, we had to read, we had to read that book. The author is named David G. Benner, B-E-N-N-E-R. Probably his most popular book is The Gift of Being Yourself. Hmm. He is an associate of Richard Rohr's. He's called, Richard Rohr calls him a master teacher at his school. He has the same views as Richard Rohr. I've read two of his books and I have articles on my website on each of them. The Gift of Being Yourself is on there. And then I read a book called Living Wisdom, which is just overtly perennial. It's, it's so perennial. I mean, if you want to know what perennialism is, then read his book, Living Wisdom. That will, you will have a really good understanding of it. Mm -hmm. But he, but you can just, but the problem is, oh, I need to say one more thing. You cannot be a follower of perennial wisdom and be a Christian. And the reason is, is that if you believe in perennial wisdom, then the uh, sacrifice of, of Christ on the cross was not necessary. Right. Because in perennial uh, philosophy, you've never been separated from God. The true self, which David Benner talks about, he calls it the Christ in me. Mm. So Christians reading that book probably think that refers to the Christ in me. Well, that's they either think it's the Holy Spirit or they think 
that's the redeemed self. You know, that's the new self in Christ. So they think, oh yeah, well, that's the new self in Christ. That's not what he means. That's not mm. what he means. Christ in me, he's he's being much more literal about it. Mm. That Christ is kind of, is literally part of you or you are part of Christ. So that's what he means because that's the perennial view. They're panentheist and they believe that God is intermingled with creation. Mm. Um, and so David Benner really is like another Richard Rohr. And he also suggests the Enneagram in his books too. He's really big on the Enneagram, not surprisingly. The Enneagram is a perfect tool for a perennialist. Wow. That's so interesting. And I, I've heard, um, I've, I've heard of that actually at the, our old church, they did the same thing. Uh, contemplative spirituality was, I mean, they taught a class on it and I didn't even oh, know wow. what that meant. I mean, I, I didn't even know what that meant, but you know, they talked about, uh, or contemplative prayer, I yes, guess. Yes. Or, uh, they, and they would classify that as a spiritual discipline. Right. Um, and so it sounded good, sounded yeah. positive. What Christian doesn't want to have more discipline and what Christian doesn't want to know how to pray better or more effectively, or, you know, in right. describing, you know, I remember hearing, um, experiences described, like I would, I picture, I picture myself, you know, in this circumstance when I pray and, and then I envision this and I envision that, like you said, sort of this experiential, mm-hmm. um, which like, I guess the line between, you know, true prayer, biblical prayer, and that could get blurry for people because, yeah. Prayer can, uh, obviously it involves our thought, our minds and our emotions. And it's not like we siphon off some part of ourself to pray and then we shut off the other part. Right. right. But, uh, but clearly if the intent there is to just merely experience devoid of using your brain or scripture or my, you know, anything else, then that feels like some dangerous ground to be entering into right. Right, right. And prayer is modeled in the Bible. It's, it's yeah. verbal. You, in other words, you're using words, you don't have to be saying them, but you're using words in your mind. Yeah, at the very least, right. And while you're talking to God. And um, so there's so we can if we look at the, the way it's modeled in the Bible and stick to that, then you can avoid these other things, because the way they're presented is very deceptive. And they make it sound very biblical. And I do have an article on contemplative prayer. I actually wrote it in 2005. Mm -hmm. So I wrote it like 16 years ago. And um, that's because it was beginning to hit the church then. Mm -hmm. And I, I wrote an article on it and this, all this stuff, the contemplative and the discipline stuff, a lot of it comes from medieval monasticism. And um, then it's been kind of hijacked by uh, the perennialist and (laughs) people like Richard War. Yeah. And he says, actually, contemplation is unlearning wow. because he thinks you have to unlearn what you've learned because you've been taught wrong. And so mm-hmm. you have to unlearn it. Um, you know, this is why he likes Buddhism, because Buddhism talks about the beginner's mind and the beginner's mind. You cannot learn in in, in Zen Buddhism. You can't learn because your mind's already full of things you've been taught you have to take that away and have the beginner's mind. So it's the same concept. And Richard Ward talks about, um, he, he'll often refer to Buddhism, but he talks about you have to unlearn. Mm-hmm. So this is the whole idea. And, and contemplation will do that. It actually will help you. Unfortunately, it'll, it'll push away things that you thought were true mm-hmm. and replace it with other things through experiences that yeah. you think are spiritual and are from God. Right. 
Right. But, but in fact are, are not, not they're not. No, it's, it's a really tricky area and it's, and, and a lot of people, you know, haven't been exposed to it. So they're not prepared. If it's introduced to them by somebody yeah. they trust, right. they think it's a good thing and, you know, boom, they're, they're into it and they, mm-hmm. and they don't even realize what's happening. Right. And, and I know so many people like that and I've been that person. And so yeah. I have, I have a lot of grace for people who get caught up in that and under, and, and maybe just yeah. did not have any kind of idea of what that was being handed to them. And I mean, right. I think, I think we're pointing the finger, the most of all at the leadership that is introducing their congregations yes. to yeah. these people and, and to these ideas and to these false teachings that, you know, on the face of them, maybe they, maybe they had the same thing done to them, but Gosh, I mean, we have got to, we have got to know that discernment in this day and age is so critical because yeah. these false teachings don't present themselves with a big fat red label that says false. They present right. themselves right. as, you know, deeper truths and yes, sharing deeper. the wisdom of other traditions and things and words that we're familiar with, biblical terms that sound great and sound Christian. And and they sound like they're gonna enrich our faith. And a lot of people feel shallow in their faith. And they think exactly. that the answer is this deeper wisdom that it would be afforded them by this, this knowledge or this tool. And it's just, it's really sad. Cause it's, it's like that oasis in the desert or that mirage that you get closer and closer to it. And you realize that it was just a mirage. It's not water. Right. You're still in the desert. <laughs> yeah. Deeper was a good word, Haley. That that's a good word because that word is often used and that it sounds so good. Like you said, people say, well, I, yes, I want to go deeper in my faith. And that word is used and it entices people to these things. And I agree with you. It's a leadership because pastors are accountable for what they teach. And they, that's why James says, you know, if you're going to be a teacher, you know, you you need to be careful because you're going to be held to higher standard. That's a huge paraphrase, but (laughs) it does, it does warn about he who wants to teach. Mm-hmm. And God will hold the teachers, <clears throat> the pastors more accountable because they are supposed to vet, they're supposed to vet things mm-hmm. and not just accept it <clears throat> and teach it because it sounds good or yeah. because, oh, my pastor friend over here said it was good. Right. No, they need right. to, they need to check it out. And that has not been done. And pastors were not, they were jumping on board instead of warning about it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's just, it's so unfortunate. Yeah, I know your work is um, getting out there far and wide. So I hope that that is helping to turn the tide on some of these, these teachings. Yeah. Uh, Do you have a final word of advice for people who um, maybe did not know about this and are, and they, they're now realizing or recognizing that, man, I actually have some friends who have done this, or I've talked to me about this. I just didn't know what it was. And I don't know how to talk to them about it without maybe offending them or making them feel like I'm saying they're a false teacher, which I think most of us would say, you know, we don't want to, to, to say that to our friends, nor do we necessarily even believe it. We just think that they might've been kind of caught up in something that might not actually be helpful. What would you, what's your best advice for how to approach that with, with people? Well, I usually tell people to say, I, I really, um, I don't think you know the facts about the Enneagram. I think you've been told certain things or read certain things that you think are true, Mm -hmm. but there are some facts about it that I want to share with you that you may not, these are facts you may not have, or I don't think you have these facts at your disposal. So I want to share them with you because you want to make the point 
that you're just trying to share something factual and truthful. You're not trying to criticize them. You're not trying to make them feel guilty. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not trying to, you know, just make them feel or dumb or whatever. You you feel you don't have all the information. I want to give you the information. Can I, you know, can I share this information with you? Um, now, some people will be receptive and some people won't. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people say to me on my pages um, who don't like the fact that what I'm saying about the Enneagram, they've just said, well, I don't care what you say, or they'll just completely dismiss me and they'll say, well, I don't think you really know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then that's kind of, then they close the door and I'm like, okay, okay. On what basis are you thinking? I don't know what I'm talking about, but apparently you've decided I don't know what I'm talking about. And that's your way of just shutting off what I'm saying. Yeah. And that, and there are people who will do that. Yeah. So unfortunately you need to be prepared for somebody not, you know, accepting what you're going mm-hmm. to say. But I do think as Christians, we should share the truth with other Christians when we know they're falling for something that is false. Yeah, I agree with you, man. So much good um, information and wisdom, Marsha. Thank you as always for your time. And um, where can people connect with you online and uh, read all of these articles you've been mentioning? Okay. Uh, thanks. Um, Christian answers for the new age.org is my website and just go to the articles page. And there's tons of articles there. My schedule page has links to podcasts I've done. Um, of course, if you go way, way back, probably those links may not work anymore, but recent ones should work. And then um, on Facebook, I have a ministry page called Christian Answers for the New Age. And you can like and follow that page. And I do post there on New Age topics. And I'm, I'm doing several on the Enneagram. I'm working, in fact, on one on the Enneagram right now on a book that I just got um, a IVP book on the Enneagram that is just, oh man, I don't know if I really was going to write on this, it would take me like a few months. So I'm not going to be, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm going to have to pick the main things to say about it, but yeah. it is a mess. It is a mm-hmm. mess with it's contemplative, very heavily contemplative. It talks in all these mystical terms and it's, of course, assuming the Enneagram has truth in it. It's, it's, a, it's the book. I'll tell you what it is. It's spiritual rhythms for the Enneagram. Okay. So I have talked about the book before, but I hadn't read it. I talked about the authors, but now I'm going to, they give a gratitude section at the back. They actually thank thir- 13 new agers. Hmm. Great. Yeah. So anyway, I know I went on too long with that, but anyway, I'm, I'm always working on something for that page. So, okay. Yeah, that's a great place to, to, to start digging in if people want to learn more. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Well, thank you, Haley. Thank you for having me on and giving me this chance to, to share all this information. Absolutely. Anytime. We'll have you back next time and we'll uncover the next, uh, the next New Age false teaching <laughs> <Okay>. that's coming up. <laughs> okay, sure. You guys, thank you so much for listening today. I am truly praying over this episode and those who are listening to it that you truly would pray James 1.5 over your own mind and heart and that God who is gracious and generous to give without finding fault will give you wisdom if you lack it and know that I'm your friend and I care about you either way. The last thing I want to say is that this is not something to divide over. This is not something that Christians should refuse 
to fellowship with other Christians over. And I actually believe very strongly in that reality. So I would just challenge and encourage those of you who are convicted the Enneagram is is not neutral and is something you shouldn't be using. Don't disfellowship with your sisters or brothers in Christ if they differ from you on that belief. And if you are someone who does not, um, is still not convinced and that the Enneagram is something to avoid, don't disfellowship from your brothers and sisters who are convicted otherwise, who do believe that it's something they need to stay away from. Trust that the Holy Spirit can convict everyone in the way of truth who is truly Christ, who is truly a follower of God, and that there is no disunity in the Father. And ultimately, we are all going to fall under his authority and his um, his word is is what has the final say. And so there are some things that we, uh, you know, we're going to disagree with on on the earth and in this life. But ultimately, we need to find unity on the fact that Jesus Christ died for the ungodly while we were yet sinners. And there is nothing that achieves salvation for us but his perfect, perfect blood. There is no other hope we have to have eternity with God uh, except for through Christ. So if we can land on that ultimate reality, that is where we stake our hope. That is where we find our peace. That is where we can we can rest as a body of believers and we can let other differences fall to the side and become what they are, which is small in light of the eternal weight of glory that uh, that God is working for us through Christ Jesus. So just land on that place if you're struggling. Um, that is that is sure footing and that is a solid place to land. All right. Thank you guys so much. Have an amazing week. If you are in Firestarters, I will talk to you Friday. If not, I'll see you next Monday. Bye.